Welcome to Church Unfiltered with Dr. Anthony Cops, a leadership podcast brought to you by Breakthrough Ministry Consulting. All right, we want to welcome you to another episode of Church Unfiltered. We, of course, are powered by Breakthrough Ministry Consulting, where we are here to help pastors, church leaders clarify and fulfill the vision that God has given them. I am so excited on today. We have a very, very special guest that is joining us all the way from Georgia. Uh, he really needs no introduction. Most of you who listen are probably familiar with the ministry of Dr. Jamal Bryant. He is a prolific preacher and definitely the voice of this generation. And we are excited to have him on here. He is the lead pastor, senior pastor of the New Birth Missionary Baptist Church there in Georgia. And I have uh, been an admirer of his ministry and followed as God has done tremendous things in his life over the course of years. Just excited for us to talk on today uh, to Dr. Jamal Bryant. How are you doing today, Dr. Bryant? You're doing wonderfully well. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you once again. I know you have a busy schedule and we're so grateful for you to take the time out to visit us on today or come on the show today. I want to just jump right in because what I wanted to do on today is give people an opportunity to hear uh, from Jamal Bryant. I want, I want them to hear from you from the perspective of your call. Uh, you certainly are an expert, if you will, and um, we can talk on and on about social activism, different things that are uh, relevant to pastors, church leaders, even today. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But I wanted us to hear about you. I wanted us to hear about you. I wanted us to hear about your call and even how you stick to it. Uh, I was talking to a couple of pastors the other day, and one of them was expressing how they felt that the Lord was calling them to do a certain type of ministry or ministry from a certain angle, if you will. Uh, but they did not want to get involved in all that came along with that. And I said to them, I, I took them to Samuel. And uh, in Samuel, when Samuel was called by the Lord, one of the amazing things about that story is just such a great story in itself. But one of the best things about that story is the first assignment that he had was to speak to his boss, if you will, <laughs> had to speak to power and give a message that wasn't very popular, but, uh, but that's what he had to do. And he had to do what the Lord had called him to do. So that's why I was excited about being able to talk to you because you, uh, to say the least, you are, are known for speaking truth to power. And so we, and we are grateful for your ministry. I want to say that from the beginning. So can you just discuss with us, Dr. Brian, discuss how did you, discover your ministry call, specifically social activism and going into uh, doing the things that you do even now. How did you, how did you discover that that's what the Lord was calling you to do? I uh, always knew that I was called to social activism. Uh, I was uh, president of Morehouse chapter, the NAACP. I was involved in the student leadership uh, during the Rodney King up riots. Um, my call is really backwards. I never wanted to pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, I saw myself following in the tradition of Reverend Jackson and uh, Reverend Sharpton of full-time advocacy. 
and uh, many people don't know it, but I was called in the pastoral ministry uh, by late uh, comedian uh, Dick Gregory. Uh, I spoke at the uh, NAACP convention and uh, he walked up to me after I finished and said, man, in the 1970s, black people, when they were in trouble, would call on two names, Jesus and the NAACP. Wow. He said, your generation doesn't call on either. Mm -hmm. And you're supposed to remind them of those two names. Wow. And so I've taken that apostolic mantle from an agnostic who didn't even go to church. Right, right. That that would then begin to shape uh, the symmetry of my life. Awesome, awesome. And so, so when you when you received that or, and had that conversation, did you did you at any point say to yourself, you know what? I don't know if I want to go. I don't want to go that path. After thinking about it for a while, I, I, don't know, I thought about it. I didn't want to go on that path. I thought I would spend my life in the NAACP. Okay. And 45 days after the convention, uh, the Bishop of California called me and said, uh, the church your grandfather started, Bryant Temple AME Church in Compton, the pastor is getting ready to retire and they want you uh, to be his successor. I said, oh, live in LA, I'm on the way. <laughs> And um, I packed my stuff up. I resigned from my job at the NAACP. And I went out there for the pastor's retirement. And at the retirement banquet, he started crying and said he think he got another year left. Mm. Wow. So Bishop said, you a young man, go on back home. <laughs> so I went on back home and uh, got my NAACP job back. And uh, so it was a real tug of war, like, Lord, I didn't even want a pastor. Mm. And now when I try to concede to do it, the door closes. Uh, so you're talking about this whole stick to mm -hmm. is uh, sometimes it's not even believing that you have to stick to what you want or what you desire, uh, but that you're sticking to your assignment, even when it is counter to your wish. Wow. Wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Your time at the NAACP, do you feel as if that that time prepared you for what you do now? Yeah, my time at the NAACP equipped me for community organizing, uh, which really catapulted me to be a church planter. Uh, I knew how to bring groups together, yeah. how to push them towards a goal, how to do Robert's Rules of Order to run a church business meeting. Right. All of that I gleaned from my time at the NAACP. How to pull to a cause that there can't be a protest if it's not tied to a policy. Uh, and so the NAACP really did more for me than seminary. Okay. You mentioned that you were a church planter. Of course, uh, let me let me just say this. You are You are a hero to many pastors, uh, when you planted your church in Baltimore, uh, we were watching, we were watching and we were like, oh man, look at this, look at this ministry. And so we were so excited about that. Several ministers that I know, pastors that I know, watching all over the country, watching what Jamal Bryant was doing. Can you, can you kind of talk, take us to that time frame? What made you deter decide to plant a church? I started to plant a church. I'm AME, third generation AME. Uh, and so after the door shut on me in L.A., I went through a season of depression. 
where I was trying to figure out how it just happened to me and I'm the son of a bishop. I'm the grandson of a bishop. At the time, I was the fill-in for Tavis Smiley on BET. I had national cachet as national youth director to end up ACP. And I still can't get a church. And uh, Beyonce, at the time, who became my wife, said, you need to start a church. Whenever it is that you go, people follow. And uh, she was Roman Catholic. So I was like, you don't know nothing about no church plant. Uh, so I knew that had to be the voice of God. And uh, so I started with 43 people who I went to high school with, who I grew up with, uh, who I knew over the years. And God mushroomed it from 43 to 4,000 in three years. Wow. Uh, only the hand and the grace of God was able to do that. You had all, you were in the spotlight, had all of these things happening, as you just mentioned, and yet you weren't able to get a, a church in the traditional sense of being called to a church. What would you say to someone right now, one of the pastors that's listening, one of the ministers that's listening, um, who's just waiting and just wondering why, when is this going to happen? Why yeah. am I not being selected? Well, the good news I would say to them is because of COVID, you don't need a church, you need a laptop. Uh, the worst thing you want to do is candidate in this season because uh, you don't even know what you're looking at or right. what it is that you have. Right. Uh, this is uh, the rise and death of mega churches. Mm -hmm. uh, I just got off of a two-hour board meeting trying to figure out what am I going to do with a sanctuary that holds 8,000 with a mortgage that's 28 million and I can't use the building. Mm -hmm. uh, and so young pastors, uh, if you got a Chromebook, you are already on your way. <laughs> right, right. Uh, because church as we know it has ended and we're walking into a new dispensation. Wow, wow. Let's, let's kind of fast forward to you. You just mentioned, and now you're at New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, which is, again, one of the ministries that, that, that young preachers, pastors, pastors of all ages, actually, have been watching over the years and just uh, just a tremendous legacy that is there. Can, can you talk to us about, even in sticking to your call, that transition that you made to go to New Birth Missionary Baptist Church after you came out of AME? Yeah, well, you, I had two different things, especially for young preachers to be aware of, is to shift psychologically from being a founder to being a successor. So as a founder, it is a thousand percent my vision. As a successor, I'm furthering somebody else's vision. Wow, that's cool. I, So that's two different trains of thought. Um, so at Empowerment Temple, where I pastored in Baltimore, I made announcements, this is what we're doing next. At New Birth, I got to do consensus building and group think. <laughs> and buy you. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so that, that's a whole different mantle that you have to navigate and shift from. Right. And, and how has your experience been thus far at New Birth? It, this has been the greatest season of my life. Yeah, it's been the greatest season of my life of uh, really on an Abraham journey of... Uh, uh, he's going to prosper you, but not telling you where you're going. Uh, <laughs> that I had no idea. I had to tell my team, I can't write a one-year plan. Because uh, I don't know whether we're going to be in the sanctuary, whether we're going right. to be on the 
Uh, and so this is a real walk of faith, uh, but I love every minute of it and I have not a decibel of regret or second guessing wow. of uh, leaving what it is that I started uh, because it wasn't mine, it was actually God's. Good, good, okay. All right, and, and, and let me ask you this, you, you've been in the spotlight for years. How, how do you personally, how do you handle being in the spotlight? You're, you're known by people in every arena. <laughs> what, what, is that, what is that like? Just talk to us about what is it like being Jamal Bryant? <laughs> It is, uh, it is painful. You are in forced integrity, mm. not even consecrated integrity. That's good, that's good. Uh, because because yeah. uh, you don't know who's watching. It, right. it ain't, oh, I'm gonna go where my members ain't. Uh, you know, I'm on everything from BT to TV One to TBN, the Word Network, and my ex-wife is on Bravo, mm -hmm. uh, so, you never know where it is that you are, where you're going to be found. Right. So making that adjustment of, uh, and I want to say this, you don't have the luxury of a private life. Mm. Uh, and so I uh, dream of the days of, I want to go somewhere and just being free. Uh, and I don't have that. Um, and so uh, you have to make sure that your good is not uh, evil spoken. Wow. So, so a young pastor or a preacher that is listening, excited about this episode with Dr. Jamal Bryant, uh, what do you say to them who, who look at your ministry, they admire, even go beyond admiring it, they want that. They want that level of anointing. They want that, the, the accolades. They want the, the spotlight. What do you say to, to that preacher? I would say to them that... Uh, we have been cursed by westernized success. Mm. Uh, David uh, didn't lose favor because of Bathsheba. He lost favor because he counted how many members he had. Wow. Uh, so this whole mantle of wanting to be mega uh, is really gonna mess a whole lot of people up. If you're faithful over a few things, then he'll make you ruler. Uh, the reality, as I say to preachers all the time, and they never realize it till I put that light bulb, is Martin Luther King Jr. never pastored over 300 people. Right. But he changed the world. Right. Uh, and so it's not about uh, how many are in your pew, but the influence that you can have uh, by the tenor of your message can shift everything. Wow. I heard you speak one time, Dr. Brian, recently. Matter of fact, I think it was last year. And, and uh, you, you started talking about being successful and and no one no one talks about being successful or how to resist certain things when you are successful i i i know that there was i know that that's not exactly how you said it but but i remember when you were talking about that it was just so so profound do you remember that yeah yeah can you share with us on on that because it was the, the angle that you approached that from just really really just uh grabbed my attention yeah, uh, wealth makes you more of who you are broke. Wow. Uh, it just gives you more access to it. Uh, and so Bishop Jake said to me many years ago, is that preachers are jealous of him because they want woman thou art loose, but they can't withstand the temptation of the alto section of their own praise team. 
Oh, so, if you can't walk away from four, how can you handle the arena of 40,000? Right. Uh, so at this level, you've got to have a gut check of your integrity. John Maxwell wrote a book called Talent is Not Enough. Right. Uh, and there's got to be a greater emphasis and focus on what is our character and how do we build that. That is awesome. That is awesome. And, and, and we know you are, you are very transparent. You have been, you have shared your story over the years. Um, you, you don't hold back. Um, how, let's talk to us about transparency and the role that that plays in the life of a pastor. Yeah. Have you ever regretted being as transparent as you, you, you have been in recent years? No, I'm forced to. Uh, uh, our fathers in ministry lived in a different time. They did. Uh, and here, how, how old are you? I'm 49. Okay, we're the same age. Is our generation watches more unscripted television than scripted television. Mm. So from Love and Hip Hop, Basketball Wives, Real Housewives of Atlanta. And so because of that, it makes a subconscious plant mm -hmm. of I don't want it scripted. I don't want it produced. I don't want it directed and I don't want it written. Mm. That's what a whole generation behind us does. Right. So our fathers in ministry told us, don't address it from the pulpit. Don't speak to it over the microphone. But they did it from the vantage point that they pastored before Instagram, before Facebook. Right. So I can't not address it, because now it's out there. Right. They had just a rumor at the beauty salon. We got a post. Uh, and so because of that, the times now dictate uh, that we've got to speak to issues that otherwise we can skirt around. Wow. That's good. And you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and, and we did. We were taught not to yeah. say anything, not to, not to address it, to leave it alone, that if you yeah. say something about it, 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 it fans the flames. And, uh, and that's not the, the time we live in now. We have to get ahead of things. So thank you for sharing that. Let me ask you this question before we transition into this last, this second part. What, what is something that people misunderstand about Dr. Jamal Bryant? Uh, I, I think all of me is that uh, people know the caricature or the blog, but don't know the person. Mm -hmm. um, it is uh, almost like uh, you see somebody on television and in your mind, you have uh, made them your best friend based off of that. Um, so I'm amazed that people say, you know, I don't like you. you you've never met me. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and so I, I think that it is uh, really just understanding who it is that I am, that I'm not just a man of God, I'm a man. And as a man, I have disappointments, I have hurts. I have fears, I have anxieties, mm -hmm. uh, and God gives me the power to override those. Wow, that's, that's good. So, so your call, social activism, different, different things that you do, speaking, speaking truth to power. Uh, let, let's kind of talk about the, the whole COVID season. We know that we've been, um, we've been impacted tremendously by Corona, uh, COVID-19, you shared some things as far as you just had your board meeting and, and how that impacts your church. We've seen some great things from you and your church as you all have fed people, you've done testing, 
provided testing and all of these different different um, projects. How how has COVID how has it impacted you in the sense of your outlook on ministry, your yeah. outlook on ministry in general? It, uh, COVID has stripped the black church of theater. Uh, it is now bare bones. Mm. Uh, it has shrunk wrapped the praxis of preaching without emotionalism. Wow. Wow. There is no turn to your neighbor. There's no shake somebody by the hand. There's nobody at the count of three, everybody's screaming. Wow. It has to be condensed content. Now we're getting to the meat of the word. Right. So I think COVID is maturing the church that we're able to keep the main thing the main thing. So, and you personally, how has it, how has it impacted you personally, your, your family? It's strengthening uh, my patience. Yeah. Uh, I am not used to being home this much. This is the most I've been home in my life. Uh, it is uh, sharpening me as a pastor um, where I've been bivocational as an evangelist and a pastor, uh, but really putting all of my energy and stock into developing the ministry. All right. All right. Okay. So let's, let's talk, let's talk, a, you know, just a couple of questions I have in reference to just the state of where we are today, just socially, the church. Um, I know this is, this is your, your thing. You have been a tremendous blessing in helping to, to break down just in a simplistic manner, how, how the church should respond to the social unrest and everything that has been taking place. What do you what do you want to say to pastors who are listening on today? What should we focus in on during this season? I think that you've got to do an autopsy of your own body that you're charged over. Uh, and so what uh, I am uh, focusing here in Atlanta uh, may not be the point of hemorrhage in Omaha. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Shakespeare said to thine own self be true. I, I don't know what the issues are in Omaha, but I think that your focus should be on the community. 92% uh, of what Jesus did was outside of the church. And now 92% of what the church does is inside the building. And so I think uh, really just getting a realistic assessment as to what is the need base in that community and then finding a way to address those. That's good. That's good. And, uh, and, and now I'm in, now I'm in San Antonio, I'm in San Antonio, Texas. And, and so we're, we're seeing some similar things that you were experiencing there in Georgia, um, as far as the, how quickly things were reopened and now we're seeing the impact of, uh, COVID and, and, and all of that. But we have churches that are looking like they may not even open up the rest of the year, even further out. And that is really causing some some issues, if you will, with pastors as, who are who are just wanting to get back in, and and it's understandable they want to get back and see their people, want to see the faces of the people, and I know I know you understand that as well. But the reality is, where we are with COVID doesn't match up with the desires that we have as far as wanting to get back in our churches. What what if? And this is just a hypothetical question. What if? This COVID season extends well into 2021. How do you think that will impact the church? Uh, I'm not sure um, because uh, for us, uh, our viewership is growing. 
uh, in COVID. I've taken in a thousand new members. Uh, our stewardship is moving. Uh, and so I am just in a rush to get in the church out of ego uh, because I want the whole environment. But the people are still being met, uh, needs are still being met, and uh, the community outreach is still going forth. Uh, but I think that uh, where it is that we are is going to transition based off of the vision of the head of that church and how it is that they evolve. This is uh, a hard restart for everybody. Right. I don't know what it's going to look like on the other side of the return or uh, whether it's going to push us backwards. And, and I think that it is definitely important for, for planning to, to take place, even though you don't know exactly what's going to happen. Many of the pastors that we, that we minister to or help, uh, you, you can start planning certain things. You can start thinking about certain aspects, especially your staffing and your focus as far as uh, programs and and your calendar. I tell pastors, one of the first things you can look at is that calendar, because you have a bunch of events and activities that probably will not happen or probably should not happen. And I, I just think that it's, it's really important to hear from someone such as yourself that does so much, your church does so much for the community, does so much for uh, the city. Um, we could, we, I have a list of all the different things that, that we've observed that you've done how, how do you speak to, speak to the outreach aspect of this COVID season? You, you seem like, it seems as if new birth is, is always feeding, always testing, always. The, where, what, what was the mindset as far as your decision to, to heighten your outreach? It, it was not mine. An old woman in my church in her late 70s asked me in January to do a food pantry. Okay. I wasn't keen on it. I had never done a food pantry at any point in my ministry. And to be honest and transparent, I only did it because she was on a new birth search committee. So I felt like I owed her one. <laughs> yes, uh, I understand. Uh, so when it is that uh, we started in January, we did 350 a month, uh, bags of groceries. Uh, after COVID hit, it uh, exponentially increased to 1,000 a week. And so I want to say to young pastors and preachers, be able to have uh, the flexibility to embrace ideas that are not yours to ideas that you are not necessarily excited about. Wow. Uh, had, had I listened to myself, uh, we wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't have the testimony we have. Uh, and so God really arranged it and I'm, I'm grateful. And, that, and that's, so, that's so rich what you just said, because the way that we see it, we see it as Dr. Bryant is the one that is doing this, this. So thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I think it's so important for people to hear that. Listen to the folks around you. Uh, there may be some ideas that, that can really benefit your church and community. And, and I think that it, it, it even can release people from the pressure, from the pressure of having to be creative all the time, having to always think of something new. Yeah. A lot of pastors are going to suffer burnout by September uh, because we've been going at such an accelerated pace uh, beyond what we ordinarily do, not just physically, but emotionally and intellectually trying to figure out what to do next, how to position, how to pivot. Uh, and so self-care is very needed and necessary. 
uh, most pastors as I'm going through Facebook on Sunday, Periscope, are doing everything. You're not letting your assistant pastor pray. The associate preachers haven't read scripture. You don't have to do it all. You are building a tabernacle unto yourself and it has no sustainability. That's good. That's good. That's good. I've, I've been watching, you've been on different sets as you've, as you've preached these uh, past yeah. several weeks. Um, you, you, you took me to another level with, with uh, this past weekend <laughs> at the yeah. museum. And, and so, t so as we, as we prepare to wrap up, just talk to us about your creativity. I know that I would be remiss yeah. if I didn't ask about your creativity and innovation. I know pastors want to hear about that. Yeah, I, I consider myself a creative. Uh, I did my doctoral dissertation on the theology of Shakespeare. Uh, what many people don't know is that Shakespeare went to seminary and dropped out as a midler. Uh, and said that he felt he could meet more people through the arts than he could through the pulpit. Wow. Uh, so what I do in ministry is always in the theatrical mind of uh, now that we're out of the walls, mm -hmm. why am I forcing myself to be in the church? Wow. I'm sending a message for 18 weeks. I've been in a different place every week. And the message that I'm sending to my congregants, if you can't be in the church, then why should I? Mm. Uh, the second thing is that I am expressing that God is fluid. To meet God, you don't have to be in a sanctuary, right. but God is tangible in any environment. And so I'm intentional when doing that. Wow, wow. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And another question that I that as I was preparing for this, a couple of pastors mentioned to me, how do you handle, Dr. Bryant, how do you handle criticism? Yeah. Uh, criticism comes with the job. Uh, it helps you know that you're working. Isn't it amazing? Nehemiah was building the wall. Right. And it wasn't until he was halfway that the critics came and said, come down. <laughs> no critics were present while he was mixing cement. No critics was there when he was trying to buy a ladder. Criticism is evidence that your construction is going up. And so you need it. And I don't want us to confuse criticism with hateration. Uh, just because I'm being critiqued doesn't mean that I'm disliked. Right. Uh, that I need to really evaluate. Some of the genius of Dr. King is that Malcolm X made him sharpen his philosophy. Mm. He needed somebody who was counter to what he believed to make him re-examine his own ideology. There would have been no greatness of Jesse Jackson if there was no Louis Farrakhan. You need somebody who was on the outside of what you believe to help temper it and for you to see it with a fresh set of eyes. That's good. That is good. That is good. Well, Dr. Bryant, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And in, in these closing moments, what do you want to say to us as pastors? These pastors listening, this is an election year. We have a variety of people that listen to this. We have uh, Southern Baptist, National Baptist. We have, we have a variety of pastors and preachers. What, what, is, what is the single most important thing we need to think of going into this season? I would say find your role and your lane. Uh, I am an advocate, but that is my call. All of us are not called to do it. 
there's several ways that you can play a part. Uh, you can never protest, but you can lend your van to get people to the park. You cannot believe in Black Lives Matter, but you can share your Wi-Fi in the parking lot so young people can meet. Yeah. You can make up in your mind you're never going to jail, but you can bail out those that do. And so I want to say to those of you who are in ministry, find your lane and in the words of Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Jamal Bryant. You have blessed us and we truly thank God for you. You can find Dr. Bryant everywhere, social media, Facebook, Instagram, and of course at the New Birth Missionary Baptist Church take a listen to him and see this prophetic voice of this generation. Thank you again, Dr. Jamal Bryant. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Church Unfiltered with Dr. Anthony Cobbs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. For more resources related to today's topic, visit churchunfiltered.com or follow Dr. Anthony Cobbs on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.